All right, would you stand as we read Psalm 146? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man, in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns to his earth, and that very day his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob. Uh, happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help. Whose hope is whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever. Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous, and the Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow, but the way of the wicked he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we've been able to praise the Lord this morning in song, praise Him in our time of. Uh, prayer this morning. Praise him as we have partaken of the bread and the cup and remembered what he's done for us. We have opportunity to praise him now through the word. And, and one of the things that's significant and important in terms of praise with the word, this is something, in order for us to praise, this, this is connected to our, our witness and our testimony. Because when we hear the word and we become doers of the word, we can actually give him praise. We can give him praise with our lives as we walk in obedience to what he's called us to. So we have opportunity to practice that once again this morning. I'm going to ask if you would to join me in prayer. And then we're going to jump right into Psalm 146. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise. The glories of our God and King, the triumphs of his grace. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, is life and health and peace. Father, we thank you that you were the one who breaks the power of canceled sin. You set the prisoners free. Your blood can make the phallus clean. For each one here, we can say that in Christ, it was your blood that availed for each of us. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come, and leap, ye lame, for joy. My gracious Master and God, I ask that you would assist us to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of your name. Lord, we grant and ask this morning that you would grant to us as we look to you and your word. We need your grace. And may your Holy Spirit move among us that we might be people of praise, people whose mouths are reserved for praising you 
all of our days. We ask this in the name of Jesus, the one who alone is worthy to be praised. Amen. Well, I can still remember it clearly. It was fifth grade. Any fifth graders here? Any fifth graders? Somewhere close to fifth grade. I think we got a couple of you that are close to fifth grade. It was fifth grade. Our class was putting on a musical that year. It was the Charles Dickens classic, The Christmas Carol. And I had been selected to play the role of Ebenezer Scrooge. Yes, I know. I know. Uh, it's hard to imagine. But I was, <clears throat> I was the miserly Scrooge. And I still remember singing a song called, I Hate People. That was the title of the song. I was not one of the friendliest fellows around, for sure. At least for a large portion of the story. I was stubborn and ruthless and set in my ways. I liked my money. And I had lots of it. And my days revolved around counting my money and seeing that those who owed me paid up or else. Well, I can remember the days and the months leading up to the musical. And I remember sitting at home with my folder in hand, tirelessly rehearsing my lines. As I recall, best I can... Some, it was well over a hundred lines. I remember sitting on the couch and mom was sitting on the other couch and we would spend hours rehearsing. Not just memorizing the words, but thinking through how to say each one of those lines. I really don't know how many hours we spent rehearsing, but those words and some of the lines of the songs, even the I Hate People song... They're still lodged here as a result of rehearsal. Now I realize this morning that you may not be rehearsing for a musical as such today. But you may be familiar with what it is to rehearse something in general. Perhaps for a business presentation at work. A persuasive speech to classmates. A skill set that you're honing with the intent of using it in the workplace or in the home. There are all kinds of ways that you might rehearse something. But you know, there's a common thread to the majority of our rehearsing here. You see, we tend to rehearse here for something yet to come here. We rehearse our lines, we rehearse our presentation... In order to be ready for a date on the calendar, don't we? There's coming a day, though, when rehearsal, as you've practiced and you've practiced, rehearsal at some point is done. And the finished product needs to be delivered. You rehearse here for something yet to come here. You know, I was reminded this week as I was reading and studying this theme of praise. I came across a wonderful quote that went up on my blackboard. It's by Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, praise is the rehearsal 
of our eternal song. I love that. Praise is the rehearsal of our eternal song. And that made the blackboard this week. Every now and then as I'm reading or studying and I come across something, it's like, I've got to have that one. I've got to think about that one. I want to have that one close by. It goes on the chalkboard. That's significant in light of the passage before us in Psalm 146. You see, Psalm 146 is a psalm of praise to God. It's the first of five concluding psalms in the Psalter. The psalms end with five trumpet blasts of praise, or what one writer called an anthem of double hallelujahs. Double hallelujahs. If you have your Bible, I want to show you this. Look in the Bible, Psalm 146. It begins with praise the Lord. What's it end with? Praise the Lord. Look at Psalm 147. What's it begin with? Praise the Lord. What's it end with? Praise the Lord. We keep going all the way through Psalm 50. It starts with praise the Lord. It ends with praise the Lord. Thus our double hallelujah. When we read the phrase praise the Lord, the literal is hallelujah. Made up of two words. Okay? Hallel and Yah, which is a shortened, contracted form of the Lord or Jehovah. Okay? So... When we read that, praise the Lord, we can think, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's how the Psalms conclude. On a very triumphant high note. Well, we're called to rehearse praise, but to what end? You see, unlike many of our examples of rehearsals in this life here, where we prepare for a day yet to come here on the calendar The rehearsal that's called for in Psalm 146 is one we are all called to participate in. And we rehearse praise now as a precursor to our time with Jesus in that heavenly city. Praise is the rehearsal of our eternal song. See, this is the song that we'll be singing when we all get to heaven. This is the song we'll rejoice in as we see Jesus as he really is. How many of you look forward to the day of seeing Jesus as he really is? Isn't that going to be wonderful? This is the song that we'll sing with the saints gathered around the throne. We were gathered around the piano this morning. I'm I'm looking forward to being gathered around the throne one day. Do you realize that we're going to be singing praises to our King? That's one of the things we'll be doing. We're called to rehearse now what we'll be doing in the presence of Jesus later. Rehearsing for the day, capital D, the day yet to come. It's not on our calendar, but it's on the Father's calendar. He knows all of our days. He's ordained each one of them. And Psalm 146 is calling the people of God to praise Him. How do you praise an almighty infinite, holy God. How do you do that? Let me give you three ways. I don't propose this to be an exhaustive list. I do believe this is probably three of the more common ways we tend to praise Him. Through song. We've already done that this morning, right? Through song. I'll praise to Him who reigns above in majesty supreme, right? We praise Him through prayer. And when we pray, we, we, we praise Him for who He is. We praise Him for His wonderful, mighty acts. But thirdly, we also praise Him through testimony 
and witness. Through testimony and witness. You know, sometimes we have opportunity to share and we, we, we speak of praising. I praise God for his protection, his provision. I praise God for his goodness in my life. I praise him for what he's teaching me through my difficult valley experience right now. I praise him for the opportunity to be used by him with my unsaved co-worker who needs to hear the gospel of Jesus. See, you praise him when your life bears witness of Jesus as you by faith serve one another in love. See, the overwhelming number of references in the scripture when the word praise is used, it's directed at the Lord. At the Lord. Praise is intended for the Lord of glory. Praise is intended for the Lord of glory. We might, we might on occasion praise someone for something that they've done. It's not uncommon for a parent to praise a son or daughter for a job well done. But ultimately, our praise is to the Lord of glory. Praise directed at self is really not praise. It's what the Bible would call boasting. And the proverb writer says something about that. He says that let another praise you, right? Not the, it shouldn't come from the lips of yourself. Someone else, let another man's lips praise you. When you praise the Lord, you are acknowledging with your heart and your mind, with all of your affections, that God is the supreme treasure of your life. You praise the Lord because of who he is and what he's done. And because he's God, you never run out of things to praise him for. Isn't that something? He's always at work. He's always acting. He's always working. He's always moving. He's always aware of the bigger picture. He's always even about your greater good, even though you might not label it as such at times in your life. With such a God, how is it that we go days, weeks, or tragically months without rehearsing praise to him? I think of the number of things that you rehearse on a given day or a given week. Think about the time and the energies that go into rehearsing the details of the project or refining a favorite hobby. Are you rehearsing more for things in this world or for the things that matter eternally? What you value will be rehearsed with praise. What you treasure will be rehearsed in praise and carried out with great joy. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah is how this begins. Psalm 146 is a call for God's people to see the remaining days as opportunities for rehearsing praise. You know, what if we thought about our days that way? We wake up in the morning and we think to ourselves, today is another opportunity to rehearse praising God. How might our days go? Well, if we look at the text, we see in verses 1 and 2 what I just want to call praise rehearsal. It's really a praise rehearsal. The psalmist is, is speaking to us here, I believe in a very personal way, and one of the, the Cues we see in a personal way is the first person pronoun, I. 
He says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Now, I remember the days leading up to the musical that I alluded to earlier. And before the actual date of the performance, we had what was called a dress rehearsal. You ever been a part of a dress rehearsal? If you're doing a play or... Yeah, you're part of a dress rehearsal. You know, it's one thing to rehearse the lines sitting on your couch at home with mom. But when you start walking through where you need to be when you're saying these lines, and it's different once you start relating it to uh, all of the staging and all of the lighting and the costumes being put on and people, and actually the si- I still remember the makeup that I had to wear. All the stuff, people actually being in the audience. A dress rehearsal is intended to help the cast work through all of the details before the actual day of the performance. A dress rehearsal is a call to practice it just like it's going to be the night of the show. The text is advocating a praise rehearsal. Our life is intended to be one big, ongoing praise rehearsal. We're called in these first two verses to praise the Lord. But I want you to notice a few things about this praise rehearsal that's submitted by the psalmist. Here's the first. It's a praise that originates from the interior. I love this. It originates from the interior. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Oh my soul. When you go through a dress rehearsal... It's easy to get lost in the lines that you have. It's easy to get so focused on what you look like, how your voice sounds, whether your costume fits you like it should. The externals can dominate if you're not careful. When the song is sung or the lines are recited and you hear it and you see how the lyrics are communicated, you can tell If you're sitting out in the audience, you can tell when someone has something memorized and when they have it in their heart. Can't you? You can tell. Someone who's just up there saying something or singing something versus someone who has something to say. There's a big difference. The psalmist says, I'll praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. There's a general call to praising followed by a close follow-up that is, praise the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Psalm 51, we read earlier, Psalm 51, verse 6. David says, behold, you desire truth. Where? Where does he desire truth? In the inward parts. The New Testament calls us to love the Lord, our God, with what? All of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. See, the praise that's called for by the psalmist is grounded not in recitation from the lips but from the overflow of the interior, okay? 
So perhaps that bubbles to the surface a question for you this morning. Is there a desire within to praise the Lord? Is there something inside that desires to praise the Lord? Is there a heart that desires to praise the Lord? Has your praise to the Lord been nothing more than a dress rehearsal where you've been consumed largely with your externals? See, praise begins on the interior. It's the inner chamber. It holds the key to meaningful and lasting praise to God. And know this. This is the principle in Scripture. God cannot be mocked. If the inside is hollow, if there's nothing there, the Lord will see the performance. And He's not impressed. He's looking for worshipers who worship Him in what? Spirit and in truth. Truth in the inward parts. So, this is, this is a praise that originates from the interior. But secondly, it's a praise that breaks the boundaries of four walls on a Sunday. It's praise that breaks the boundaries of four walls on a Sunday. Verse 2, while I live, I will praise the Lord. You see, the praise rehearsal submitted by the psalmist is not going to be pigeonholed in the context of a Sunday only, but as long as I live. While I live. All right, I got an exercise for you this morning. It serves a couple purposes. One, I want to make sure you're alive. All right, so um, check either your neck or your wrist, whichever way you do that best. Go ahead for just a moment. Check, and I want, I want you to hear a couple of those beats. Okay, do that. I'll be quiet for a moment and let you listen for a second. Everybody hear the pulse beating? Good. Everybody's alive? Excellent. Good. Um, that's an indicator that there's life going on in your systems, right? You are a living being. You are filled with the breath of life from God himself. Now, while you live, you are intended to praise God. While you live, your days are intended to pass praising God. Have you noticed, though, that just because you have a pulse, that's no guarantee for praising the Lord. Just because you have a pulse, that doesn't mean by default you're going to praise the Lord. It's only as you are alive in Christ spiritually alive, that you will be inclined to praise the Lord. Natural men have no need of praising the Lord. They're not going to be praising the Lord. But spiritual men are inclined to praise God. And they praise Him beyond the parameters of walls inside the building. In fact, it ought to be as common as the air that they breathe. There's a sense here in the text that the psalmist resolves to praise the Lord while he lives. He says, I will praise the Lord. While I live, I will praise the Lord. You ever had any situations in your life when you just didn't feel like praising God? Yeah. 
perhaps a similar resolve is instructive for each of us while I live, regardless of my situation, regardless of my difficulty, regardless of the fear that I'm facing, I will praise the Lord. So we see that this is a praise that originates from the interior. It's a praise that breaks the boundaries of four walls on a Sunday. But third, I want you to notice it's a praise that is sung and is deeply personal. It's sung and it's deeply personal. The end of verse 2 says, I will sing praises to my God, to my God, while I have my being. One of the ways that you praise the Lord is through singing. And notice that the singing is directed at my God. The singing is rooted in the heart and aimed primarily at the Lord. The one to whom you sing, listen, he's not a stranger. He's the greatest object of your affections. You sing praises to your God, the one whom you love, But the one who loved you and gave himself for you, the Bible says, through his son at the cross. I believe we need to get beyond the singing aspect. See, some of you read that and and perhaps you're caught up on how well you sing or how well you don't sing. The point in the text isn't predicated on your singing ability. Can we just make that clear? It is not predicated upon your singing ability. I believe the text would have us raise our eyes to the one to whom we sing. I believe the text is pointing at relationship and not self-help on singing. There's a want to that's attached to my singing because it's being sung to my God, the one that I have a personal relationship with, Through Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why this is so significant. It's a praise that is sung. It's deeply personal. When you love the one to whom you sing, your singing gets affected. It gets transformed. And there's little concern over what else or who else might happen to be hearing and listening. So again, this brings some questions to the surface. Do you sing praises heartily as unto the Lord? Have you connected your relationship with God through Jesus Christ as a catalyst for your singing praises? Has your singing been absent of any personal relational element? Have you forgotten the one to whom you sing? Now, the first two verses provide encouragement for a praise rehearsal to take place in our lives. Not a dress rehearsal where the exterior trappings are polished and made ready, but a praise rehearsal that begins in the inward parts, extends through all of our days, and manifests itself through song in a personal, loving manner. Now, the next three verses cause us to take a step back and consider the object of our praise. It's important if we're going to be praising, we get the object of our praise correct. So that's where he goes here in 3, 4, and 5. We can offer praise in song or in prayer or by way of testimony, but unless we are clear on the object of our praise, the praise can be misleading. And it can lead down a dangerous path. 
Thus the need for, secondly, praise review. This is what I'll call this, praise review. So we have praise rehearsal and now praise review in verses 3 through 5. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns from, to his earth. In that very day his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. A praise review. Now it might seem a bit disjointed when you come to verse 3 immediately following 1 and 2. I know as I'm reading this and looking at this, 3 caused me to just stop and, and kind of get my bearings because it didn't seem to naturally flow upon first or second reading. It almost seemed out of place. And yet when we take it as a whole, it does fit wonderfully well. And it identifies an important distinction that we must make as we offer praise. Here's the question that I believe these verses spring to the top. To whom do we offer praise? To whom? To whom do we offer praise? Now the obvious answer, I believe, if we were to go down the rows and the chairs, the obvious answer that many of you would give is God. But reciting the obvious answer and speaking truth are not necessarily on the same track all the time for all people, are they? Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. You know, there's another verse, a familiar verse, that we're in Proverbs 3, verse 5. It says to trust in whom? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, right? As we conduct a praise review, it's important that we, we take a step back and we review who it is we are praising. The object of our praise. It's vital that we get this right. Do not put your trust in princes or a son of man, but in the Lord himself. Now princes of our day would be people like presidents and people who hold positions, right? People who are leadership and authorities, princes of all various kinds. But the text also says not to put our trust in sons of men. People perhaps who don't have those same positions. But people that we look to and maybe some people that we are prone to want to hold on to and follow more so than the one we're supposed to be following. Don't put your trust there, the psalmist says. Jerry Bridges in his book, Trusting God, he says, can you trust God? He said the question itself has two possible meanings before we attempt to answer it. Can you trust God? I.e., is he dependable in times of adversity? But the second meaning is also critical. Can you trust God? Do you have such a relationship with God and such a confidence in Him that you believe He is with you in your adversity even though you do not see any evidence of His presence and power? Can you trust God? Well, the psalmist in just a moment is going to set forth some evidence that shows how dependable he really is. Can you, this morning, can you trust God 
with your life? Can you trust him? Perhaps think about both ways, as we just read there from Mr. Bridges. Is God someone that is dependable? As you pick up the word and read the word, do you see that this God that we're talking about, this God to whom our praise is to be rendered, is he dependable? Can he be trusted? And will you trust him? As we conduct a praise review, it's critical to land firmly on the source of your trust. See, because we're, we're naturally inclined to place our trust in ourselves or in someone else that we can visibly observe. See, the, the tendency is to find our help from another source. We go searching for all kinds of hope in all kinds of places. You know, three, four, and five, if you write in your Bibles, I, I believe there are three words that are very significant for you to, to take note of here. The first word is trust. The second word is help, and that's found at the end of verse three. It's also found in the first part of verse five, and then hope at the end of verse five. Trust, help, and hope. Do you know, friends, that there are loads of people in this world that we live in who are looking, seeking, searching, trying to find someone, something they can trust in. They're looking for help. And some of them just need to hear just a a bit of hope that they can hold on to. Who can they trust? Who's going to help them? What hope do they have beyond the grave? Well, there's one who is dependable, one in whom we can trust. There's one who alone is our help. There's one who provides hope, not just for our days here, but our hope for yet to come. You know, it is amazing that we end up trusting in people who are going to let us down. Even within our own household, the people in our own household are going to let us down. And and probably we can testify, you know, there have been times when I've let so-and-so down in my home. I've let them down. I've failed them at some point. The Bible says we all fall short. We're not to place our trust in man. Don't put your trust in princes or in the son of man in whom there is no help. Why would we, why would we forego and forfeit placing our trust in the one alone who can help us? It's out here as, a, as, as an invite, as a call. The text provides an answer as we think about how it is that these folks, talking about the princes and the sons of men, how is it that they are of no help? The text answers the question, sufficiently at least. It says his spirit departs. He returns to his earth, and that day, very day, his plans perish. In other words, don't trust them 
Don't hold on tightly to them because they're not going to be around long. They're temporary, and any plans that they hold forth are fleeting. The Bible says we're a mist, right? We're here for a while, and then we're gone. Happy or blessed is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord is God. Blessed is the one who has the God of Jacob for his help. Stephen Lawson writing about this God of Jacob. He says the divine name God of Jacob emphasizes that God has always been faithful to his people, extending back to the patriarchs. The Lord has never veered from his promises. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob as his help. Princes and the sons of men are no help. But the God of Jacob is of great help. As you carry out a praise review, be sure that your praise is voiced to God and not to earthly princes or men of low degree. Only God is the worthy recipient of your praise. And in case you need further convincing of that fact, the psalmist spends the next several verses pointing out God's character and nature, his mighty acts and his wonders. So we have this praise rehearsal in one and two, and we have this this praise review, making sure we get the object of our praise correct and right. And now here in verses six through nine, we have a list, really, of things that are going to speak to God being praise-worthy. You know, we asked the question earlier, is, is, is God someone we can depend upon? This praise rehearsal we spoke of, it's focused on the interior. It's, it's focused on giving praise all of our days, manifested through singing to this God that we love, a God whose relationship that you value above all things. And we have the praise review we just covered, and it's considering the significance of the object of one's praise. Is it rooted in princes and men on the earth or on the God of Jacob? Is your praise established upon the one who alone can help, the one who alone can be trusted, the one who alone provides hope now and yet to come? And here in 6 through 9, we're led to ask the question, is this God of the Scriptures praiseworthy? Is he praiseworthy? I call you to look at the evidence. Look at what God's done. Who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. That's no small thing, friends. We're talking about the one who created the world. The creator. That's interesting to me that that's that's the first on the list. It's not small. He's the creator. Who keeps truth forever. Unlike the princes of this earth, the sons of men in this earth, some of the people who are deemed princes in the world we live in have large problems with truth-telling, don't they? The Bible says that we serve a God who does not lie. Isn't that great? He doesn't lie. When he says something, it's true. He keeps truth Forever. 
He's praiseworthy because the Bible says he executes justice for the oppressed. In other words, this God that we praise is an impartial judge. How many of you like to be judged impartially? <laughs> if you're going to go into a courtroom and you've got a judge, you want the judge to be impartial. This God that we serve, this God whom we praise, he executes justice for those who are oppressed. We live in a world today where there are many who are oppressed. In fact, these verses speak in large measure to the God who handles and deals with oppression around the globe. Who gives food to the hungry. This God to whom we praise is a provider for all things. He's our provider. The Lord gives freedom, into verse 7, to the prisoners. Now, no doubt... He literally does provide freedom to those who are going through persecution. He does that. The Lord does that. The Lord frees them. We see examples of it in the scripture. Peter's in prison. He's about to die. And the Lord grants freedom to him before the next day, doesn't he? Literally, that does happen and God does work that way. But God also gives freedom to the prisoners. Those who have been in bondage, in chains of sin. God grants freedom through Jesus Christ. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. And here again, literally, he does that. He does that through his son. If you read the gospel accounts, the number of times when he's healing blind people, their eyes are opened. They are, they are literally allowed to see. But I was also reminded of the Lord as our illuminator, the one who allows us to see things from his word. And he does that specifically through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us, who illuminates the word who illuminates our minds, allows us to be able to see, allows us to think, allows us to hear. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. Oh, this is an encouraging one. The Lord is the lifter of our head, isn't he? The Lord is also, I was thinking of the Lord in his ministry through the Spirit. He's our encourager. The encourager, the idea of the, the, the one who comes alongside of us. Those who are bowed down, this would be one that they would be clinging and holding on to. You mean I have a, a God available who is going to raise up those who are bowed down? I'm not going to continue to go unnoticed. The Lord loves the righteous, He loves the righteous. This God that we praise is a lover of his people. He loves the righteous. And we'll see here in just a moment his take on the wicked. But he loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He's the God who protects, the God who is our defense, the God who is our rock, the God who is our shield. He watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. He's the guardian. He's the father of the fatherless. And God is so great that he plants us in his family. We're part of his family in Christ Jesus. 
But you get to the end of verse 9, and you might tend to think that the list of praiseworthy things comes to a halt. It says, but the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. His justice manifests itself in wrath toward those who disobey him and turn away from him. His wrath in itself is worthy of our praise. You see, God will, in the end, through his Son, he's going to judge the world in righteousness, and the way of the wicked shall perish. If you go back to the first psalm, this is what this first psalm does. It contrasts the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Verse 5, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He loves the righteous. He knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the ungodly shall what? Perish. Keep in mind as this psalm comes to a resounding climax, the Son of God is the exact representation of God himself in the flesh. And we've covered some of this in Hebrews, right? Especially in chapter 1. He was the icon of God on earth. He came to declare, John 1.18 says, the person of God and to do the work and will of God. And I say this because the things described of God in this psalm are fitting descriptions of Jesus as well. Let's remember that the Father and the Son, they work together and that the Holy Spirit is working in us forever and His role is, fun- his role is, is to function Always as a guide into the truth that's found in Jesus. I know there are redeeming, some redeeming qualities to that musical I spoke of earlier, The Christmas Carol. Ebenezer Scrooge goes through a transformation whereby he turns from miser to giver, from stingy to loving and caring. These redeeming qualities are characteristic of the gospel. The musical, though, wasn't targeting the gospel. So as I was considering that and thinking through this psalm, I I wondered how many things we do, how many things we participate in that have little to zero redeeming gospel-oriented qualities. How often are we partakers of darkness instead of the light? Is there a desire to share in praiseworthy activities? Does the mind soak in a greater amount of praiseworthy things or worldly things? What's coming in and what are your thoughts drawn to? The Bible gives us a very helpful way to consider this in Philippians 4.8 where Paul says, he's at near the end of the letter, he says, finally brethren, whatever things are true, he gives his own list. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think much about these things. 
Join me in looking at the last verse. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. And there's the uh, concluding bookmark. Praise the Lord. The conclusion here as we, as we think about verse 10. and I just wrote down endless praise. That's, that's, the, that's the way this closes. Endless praise. Listen, the praise rehearsal here on earth is not intended to end anytime soon. Psalm 147 verse 1 says, It is good to sing praises to our God. Listen, it says, For it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. You know, the world today has a different definition of what's beautiful. You know what God says in His Word? He says praise is beautiful. It's good to sing praises to our God. Praise is beautiful. And I'd like to give you a picture, if I could, of the endless praise that awaits. You know, as good as praise might be here on earth, the Bible provides us with just enough to whet our appetite for what's yet to come. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Revelation. I just want to read a few verses from chapter 4. Beginning in verse 6, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. Verse 8, the four living creatures each having six wings were full of eyes around and within and they do not rest day or night saying, what are they saying? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Chapter 5, and I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside on the back, sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? For a moment there was sadness. There was a wondering if there was anyone worthy to open these seals. Verse 8. When he, the Lamb, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked He says, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. Listen to this picture. And the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Heavenly choir, would you say? There were a lot of people there, a lot of angels, a lot of voices. They were saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that is in them. I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen! And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. I get excited just reading that. That is powerful. That's something to look forward to. You see, the endless praise, the praise doesn't end here. And we have but just a small glimpse of what it's going to be like around the throne. Psalm 146 says, The Lord shall reign forever. And because he reigns forever, if you are in Christ, you too will reign with him as a child of the king. Remember, praise is the rehearsal of our eternal song. It's the song we'll be singing when we all get to heaven. But it's the song that we're called to rehearse and to live out right now. See, endless praise is both fitting and proper for the follower of Jesus Christ because God reigns forever. He has an everlasting ministry. We will never tire of praising the God of glory. Endless praise aligns well with a forever God. A forever God. He's everlasting. God is not going to be retiring. He's not ever going to wear out his term as creator. He's on the throne He's going nowhere. His kingdom is everlasting. His rule and reign is sure and fixed. And listen, young people, you can be confident in the Lord in these days ahead. Despite all the junk, all the stuff going on in our world today, the Lord shall reign forever. He's your God to all generations. All generations. you look just above this psalm, you'll see in Psalm 145, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Listen to verse 4. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Verse 10. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Praise rehearsal is called for, praising God from the inward parts all our days. Praise review is necessary. We need to be clear on the object of our praise. Let's be sure we know where our praise is directed. Not in princes of men or in the sons of men, but in the faithful longevity of the God of Jacob. And then the question, is God worthy? I believe the psalm has answers for that question. Answers with a resounding, yes, he is worthy. A forever God deserving of endless praise. Amen? He is. He's deserving of our praise. And to all generations, the Lord shall reign forever. You know, I believe in many ways these concluding psalms were originally written for a liturgical response. So there would be a reading, and then there would be a response. Well, as you've heard Psalm 146 being read, I'd like to just close and have 
you all as a response because this is truly how it worked in, in many regard with the Psalter. There was a response. And so when we read verse 10, and we say, The Lord shall reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Collectively, can we say, Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. We have work to do during our stay here. Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. We have much to praise Him for. He alone is worthy of our praise. We can praise Him this morning for His good word. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, it is good to have your word open. It's good to hear from you. It's good to be reminded of this praise rehearsal that ought to be happening now as we look forward to that day yet to come. I pray, Lord, that each of us would conduct a praise review and make sure that the one to whom we praise is the God of the Scriptures. It's the Christ of the Scriptures. It's the Holy Spirit found in the Scriptures and identified in the Scriptures. Pray, Father, that as we look to your word, we would also be able to see that you are indeed praiseworthy. And, Father, we caught a glimpse at the end of not only that you are reigning forever, but you are a God to all generations. And as such, Lord, endless praise is called for. Endless praise. So, Father, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts. Move us in this direction in which your scripture speaks. I pray that we would be people of praise. People who speak differently and and act differently and live differently because we have Christ in us. The hope of glory. I pray that whenever others see us, they would see the Lord working in and through us. That they would hear from our lips what is residing in the depths of our heart, in the inward parts, this praise, praise the Lord, O my soul, that that would come forth. Father, we would not be ashamed to speak your name in this world that we live in. Father, we thank you that you alone are praiseworthy. We give you great praise, great honor, blessing, and glory, just as we read in the book of Revelation. Lord, we thank you and we look forward to that time of praise around the throne. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.